Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green and your host. Hey everyone, we talk a lot about longevity on this show, but that's the thing. We're talking about longevity. We're hypothesizing what works, but Dr. Gladys McGarry is living proof of what longevity actually looks like. She's 102 years old and she has no plans to retire. She's a practicing MD and she recently wrote a book called The Well-Lived Life, which chronicles all of her tried and true secrets for longevity. And guess what? Her tips are simpler than you think. You won't hear anything about NAD injections, mTOR, telomeres, or any other trendy longevity topic during our discussion. Our conversation certainly changed how I approach living a happier, healthier life, and I really think you'll enjoy it. Gladys, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I am so honored to have you. You know, we talk about longevity all the time on this podcast, but we're talking about it. We're hypothesizing about it. You're, you're doing it at age 102, which I absolutely love. So you've got a new book out, which I love, The Well-Lived Life, which I'm holding up for those watching on YouTube, which everyone should pick up. I, I, usually this question's an easy, easy one. I start by asking our guests if they could briefly describe their background. Uh, but you've you lived such a full and tremendous life. I'll, I'll say, can you briefly describe your background, including your founding of the American Holistic Medical Association? How much time do we have? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, no, I was born and raised in India. My parents were med- medical missionaries in North India. My mother went into labor with me at the Taj Mahal. I think she was kind of a drama queen, you know. Anyway, uh, then we lived in the jungles of North India, in the villages of North India. My parents took their medical work back into the jungles. And so um, my my brothers and my dad actually did quite a bit of hunting because the tigers and the leopards and so on would attack the villagers. And I have a tiger skin on my wall, which my dad shot, and I have leopard skin on my, you know, this kind of stuff was normal. And it wasn't that we were trophy hunters, we were helping the people in the villages by acting as not protectors, but helping them to live their lives too. So I started out with that kind of a um, view of life. And it's, it's, it's stood me in good stead. And so how did you end up practicing medicine and then founding the American Holistic Medical Association? Well, I came, uh, when I was 15, I came to uh, the States for college and then went to Women's Medical College in Philadelphia just as the war got started. And so my first four years in in medical school were totally caught up with killing with with the war. And this is World War II. Absolutely, yeah. Well, war against disease and pain and so on. But when I got out of when I got past the the educational part and into the actual practice part, (laughs) where People weren't used to women physicians. That was really uh, a very 
interesting time in my life because uh, they thought I was a nurse and I had nurse, nurses snatch a uh, thing out of my hand and say, <laughs> it was, but we worked through it, you know, you lived through it. We were, everybody was getting educated into the fact that women could do this. And, uh, but the thing that was missing for me was that we knew how to work with the body and we knew how to work with the mind. But where was the whole spirit of the thing? My parents were medical missionaries working at that level. And so that whole thing was coming in. And that's where the holistic medical came in. At that point, there were a group of us physicians who were beginning to say, yeah, this is great, but where, where is the inner aspect of this whole feeling process, including the fact that my eldest son came through Phoenix and he said to me, he had just graduated his training in orthopedic surgery in Miami at the big hospital. Anyway, he said, Mom, I'm real scared. I'm going into the world. I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. I don't know if I can handle this. And I said, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to do this amazing thing, which is called orthopedic surgery, do it the best you can. You've learned how to do it. You do that. And then you support the patient as the physician within that patient does their own healing. And it was on that premise that we began looking outside of the medical community for where our colleagues were. And they were in the, in the very essence of the patients that we were working with. And so when we started the American Holistic Medical Association, it took us two years to decide whether we should, how to spell holistic. And we finally realized that the word that we were looking for was health, healing, and holy. So it was that divine aspect of all of us, the physician and the patient, who could do the healing. And that love itself was the great healer. I love it. I love it. You know, longevity is a topic we discuss a lot here. And so I was so excited to, to see your book. And look, again, you're obviously doing a lot right sitting here with me having a conversation at age 102. And a half. 102 and a half. There you go. 102 and a half. And, and in the book, you share your six secrets to longevity. One, you're here for a reason. Two, all life needs to move. Three, love is the most powerful medicine. Four, you are never truly alone. Five, everything is your teacher. And then six, spend your energy, energy wildly. And then strangely, I'm looking through the book. I don't see anything about NAD injections, mTOR, VO2 max, grip strength, telomere length, and all the other trendy longevity topics these days. They're not there. No, because people uh, need to look some other places too, because, you know, uh, the way I look at it, disease and pain aren't our enemies. Our job is not to get rid of them, but to learn from them. Some of the most amazing people we know have chronic illnesses they'll never get rid of. Look at Roosevelt. He had post-polio syndrome and what he did. The whole concept for me is shifting from a war against disease and pain 
into a loving atmosphere of love and healing, which then ac accepts the fact that you're going to have <laughs> you're going to have times in your life when things are just really bad, and you don't know how you're going to get out of them. But if you don't look for the light, if you don't look for the love, if you don't look for the healing, actual healing, you don't see it because it's not presented. And that's why the whole concept of, of holistic medicine stepped in. And now I'm calling it living medicine. Hmm, I love that. So what, what, I, what I would love to do is just briefly go through each of the, the six pillars. So, so, so one, you are here for a reason. Absolutely. I think of it as a huge jigsaw puzzle. And we each have our own place. And nobody else can fit in that place. I love it. Two, all life needs to move. If you stop moving, you die. But your body needs to move. The life force within your whole being has to keep reaching. I keep thinking of it as reaching for our true humanity. Like E.T., you know, home, it's that reaching up and beyond. And so it's that that essence of ourselves that's reaching for our true humanity. I love that. Three, love is the most powerful medicine. The Native Americans have always known this. And the most of the religious people in the world and their core know that. It's the whole idea that love is what does the healing. And everybody has the aspect within their being of loving. A lot of people have never really experienced it. And if you have never experienced love, it's like trying to teach a, a blind man who was born blind the color of green, you know? If you've never experienced love, you don't know what it is. So, the, so it becomes incum incumbent on us who know what love is to reach out to others so that the, the ones who don't know can feel it. A good, a good segue is number four. You are never truly alone. <laughs> and that's absolutely true. If you just give yourself time to look around outside of yourself. But the nice thing is that when you really learn to love yourself, that's when you really learn to love other people. Mm. Number five, everything is your teacher. There we go. No matter how much, how it sucks, you know. I mean, it might be a terrible, terrible thing that you're going through. But if you can look at it as a teacher, not as an enemy, you can begin to find the things that allow you to grow with it, not get over it. I get tired of people saying, "Well, just get over it." You don't have to get over it. You have to. You don't. You don't have to do anything. It's. <laughs> It's a good idea is to live through it. And then you've, then you've learned from it. If you don't live through it, you don't really learn from it. You just jump over it and think, oh, well, it doesn't matter there. And the last one, spend your energy wildly. Don't be afraid to reach out. You know, uh, we have so many restrictions on what you shouldn't do and what, and, and, Children that are told they shouldn't climb trees or, or take risks or 
that kind of thing. They might get hurt, yeah. They might get hurt, but look at what they learned from that hurt. And um, so the overprotectiveness of trying to keep ourselves and our world from not hurting doesn't allow us to understand that the not not the deliberate hurting, not not create creating hurting, <laughs> but if you're faced with something, if you're faced with a divorce, live through it and learn what you can from it. If you're if you're faced with a broken leg, figure out what maybe there's something in the way you I don't know some aspect of your whole being that says you need to look at your way of walking. It, it, there's lessons to be learned if you're looking for what it is to be learned and then, and then work with them. So what, what I found to be so interesting is all of these six pillars really hit on mindset. You know, there's nothing in here on superfoods, exercise, hacks. This this is all mindset, connection, love, purpose, spirituality. I'm curious, given your perspective, which is extraordinarily valuable, we're not doing so well right now in terms of the obesity epidemic, diabetes, mental health. I could go on and on. I think our, our listeners are tired of me uh, telling them how bad the, the statistics are. What do you think's driving that? Is how, how much is it the, our mindset, and how much of it is us eating terrible food and sitting on the couch? I think it's we don't love ourselves. We don't know, you know, uh, pride cometh before a fall. That was was hard for me to get past the concept that I really needed to love myself because my basic core said. Yeah, but if you're loving yourself, you're, you're being proud, and therefore pride comes before a fall. Therefore, you don't do that. But I, I was 93 before I realized that in all my, my years and working with people and so on, I'd been denying the very thing that I was teaching because I would, uh, I'd write something and I would teach it, and then I would say, well, but that came from Bill said this and then and so and so Deepak said something or something you know I was deflecting it and in essence denying the very thing that I was talking about and the way I found out about that was through a dream I woke up one morning and um in the dream in the waking up I was laughing and singing and what I was, and you know, in that dream state, you can be in both sides of, <laughs> so I was watching myself as nine-year-old Gladys in the camp, North India, looking out of the tent flap, making sure that my younger brother wasn't around because he was going to tattle on me if he, if he saw what I, what I was intending to do, because it was, I knew it was a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning at this dimension also, but that in our family on Sunday mornings, we weren't allowed to sing anything but hymns and bhajans. And I thought that was stupid as a nine-year-old girl. I knew it was better than that. <laughs> and so I checked and there was nobody around and I ran as fast as I could up the mango tree and I'm sitting up in the top of the mango tree and I'm singing. I'm watching, I'm watching all this, this nine-year-old Gladys. 
sitting up in the top of the tree singing. I'm singing all kinds of crazy songs, caterpillar songs or anything else that I wanted to. But every so often I'd look over my right shoulder and Jesus was up in the tree with me. And I look at Jesus and I say, Jesus loves the little children, right? And he's, he's cracking up. He's laughing. He says, yes. So then I go back to my sing, singing and then I get to doubting and I look back again and I say, I'm still a little children, right? And he says, yes. And so I go back to my singing and I wake up. And I realized that in all my preaching and so I'm, I'm not preaching, I'm speaking about things that I knew were really important, I was denying them. And so from that time, I actually began to accept my voice as having some some strength, some understanding and knowledge in it. And I began to love it. So in other words, it sounds like you didn't really have self-confidence, self-esteem. No, I when I first grade and second, uh, I had to repeat twice because I was so dyslexic. I couldn't read or write. So I had that da damaged part of my soul that was still hanging on until I was 93. Wow. So, you know, on that note, look, life isn't all roses. There are setbacks. There are, you know, death and divorce are, are, are big ones, which are devastating, can paralyze people. You've experienced both. How, how do we come out the other side when we're, we're faced with such circumstance? Well, what I've learned is that you can either hang on to the pain or hang on to what the pain has taught you. It's like if you cut your arm and you have a, a scab, you can keep picking at that scab because it kind of hurts good, you know. You kind of keep at it, but when you stop picking at it and let it heal, you can look at it and say, oh, I know what you were. I know who you are. You know, it's that kind of a learning when you actually live through the process and learn the lessons that you have to learn from that, then you can then you can heal. And as you heal, it's just a scab. It's not, a, I mean, a scab, it's scar. So how do you, you know, again, I, I love this notion. We're talking about longevity. And again, you're, you're walking the talk here. When I tend to have a discussion around longevity, maybe we'll talk about blood pressure, maybe APOB, maybe grip strength, maybe telomeres, or all these data and metrics out there, which you know we're not dismissing, but we haven't touched on that. And I, and I think what's so fascinating, given your perspective, is your perspective is entirely different. And so with that all said, how do you define health? If someone were to walk into your metaphorical office and said, say, Gladys, how am I doing? My guess is you're not going to ask them about their blood pressure. I might. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not the modality. That's, that's not whether you're osteopath, whether you're a chiropractor, whether you're a naturopath, allopath or what. It's not the modality or the the structure that you're using them. They're wonderful. The things that we've learned in medicine, stem cells, my goodness, the lessons that we've learned from the, the 
sciences has come on. That's not, they're not really the issue. The issue is how you're using it. It's like I spoke, talked to my son, you know, about touching the, reaching out with love to the, the physician within the patient and connecting there. And that's, that's everybody's personal stuff. And so when I try to give somebody a diet, I won't do that because I don't know what they are, what they can tolerate. My one son can't handle garlic. Crimey, I grew up in India. I love it, you know. So it's it's what what we uh, as we begin to understand and love ourselves, accept for our path. Then we fit into our jigsaw puzzle. If we're so, all the time trying to pond ourselves into that jigsaw puzzle, we don't fit. It doesn't fit. But it, it sounds like we're not probably giving enough attention to our emotional and spiritual well-being. Because love really is a great healer in the long run. And as a medical doctor, I know this is the case from reading your book but and, and hearing you speak, can you talk a little bit about when you've seen people who are suffering physically and then what's what you've seen with those people emotionally and spiritually? There is a connection here. I have so many uh, friends and patients and who I call essence of living medicine. These are people who, have, like I have one friend who just died at the age of 79 and she had lived since she was 18 months old with one quarter of one kidney. I mean, none of us know how she did that. None of the physicians that worked with her through the years, we would talk about it and none of us had any idea how she did that. But she knew how she, what her body could tolerate and she was able to do that until she, she was 79. So what, what do you, you know, as I go through the six and I think about, you know, this is a dear friend of yours. She was, and you're, one of your chapter titles is you are never truly alone. This woman obviously had a strong connection with you. I think about the loneliness epidemic we're in right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. How do we get ourselves out of this? Well, look for solutions that are loving solutions. It's like these young men that are killing each other in the, you know, that that to me is one of the saddest things that we have in our culture is these amazing young men who think that the, getting a gun and killing other people is their whatever. And so my, I, I, have, I have had a friend who, she, she was a school teacher and she said the best year she had in school was when she had a dog in the classroom. So I'm talking about this. I think that we should really begin to think about dogs as guardian dogs in classrooms, not guns for the teacher. But if you had a guardian dog in the classroom, that dog knows when a child is sad when they're having problems at home, they and will, they'll come and stay by that child. Or if a child is afraid of a dog, they won't come anywhere near until the child begins to reach out for them. But I would 
I don't know this, but I think some of these young people who are doing these things about killing have never really understood about death. Think about when you're when kids are watching TV. You have a he hero, he dies. You look at the TV the next day, he's alive. So he he dies. Then he dies again. Then he dies again. If you don't, if you have never experienced a pet or a parent or something that you really loved and cared for dying, how do you know anything about death? And if you don't know anything about death, it's nothing. You can go shoot a person and shoot yourself. What you know? It's 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 like we've trivialized the very essence of life to the point where even the things that we are teaching are sort of mixed up so that the people are, are can. But if we had dogs in a classroom, we'd have a whole new profession. You'd have to ha have have hypoallergenic dogs. They'd have to be trained to do this. The, their trainers would have to be trained. The teachers would have to be trained. Parents would have to know. The kids would have to. I mean, it's a whole new profession. Well, the idea of therapeutic animals is one that a lot of people are very interested in. Oh, I know. It's Why not bring it into the classroom? And so what I think you're also hitting on, you know, in the mental health epidemic is, you know, mental health is a, is a serious issue with kids and it, it can stem from a lack of purpose, a lack of spirituality. Uh, there's a great statistic we have from Dr. Lisa Miller, who's been on the show and has done a lot of work on the subject where when mother and child are quote unquote high in spirituality, and she has a very broad definition of spirituality. It's, it's anything from organized religion to transcendent awareness, you know, w walking in nature, picking up trash, being grateful. The child is five times less likely to be depressed, five times less likely. And so uh, if you think about purpose, anecdotally, we hear this all the time. Someone's maybe older in life, maybe they just retire, maybe they lose a partner and they lose their purpose and then their health rapidly declines. Can we talk about that? Because this is number one in your book. You are here for a reason. Why do you think that's so critical? Well, because you have to move, life has to move. If you, if you lose your purpose and you ha have nowhere to go, I look at it kind of like I have a flashlight and I can walk my path. But as I walk my path, maybe I see a person whose flashlight is a little dim. If I add my flashlight to that flashlight, their dimness can go a little bit. Maybe, maybe not completely away, but I can add my light to that light and help them see that the path goes a little farther than they were going in their own stuck, you know, when they were having their problems. So it's metaphorically, we need each other. But in the process of needing each other, it's that reality that we really, really need each other. So that our, and if, if I have a patient and I, say to him, well, now 
da 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 go home and rest. And he goes home to rest and figures out that that's all he needs to do. He'll, he'll, you know, just lie down and give up. That's not what I'm saying when he when I tell him to go home. If I say go home and rest, that's doing something. Go home and rest doesn't mean you go home and give up. You go home and rest until your juice comes back in. Somebody helps you up and you can get up off the couch and move. So on that note, what do you do when you're having a moment or adversity strikes? Do you have a go-to? Actually, it depends. It depends entirely. Uh, currently, I have my second son here who's staying with me. And that's been amazing. He's a retired Presbyterian minister, and he's you know, he's technologically, you know, he can do all this technology stuff, which is woo-woo stuff for me for real. But it's it's the reality that I still have work to do. I've still got a 10-year plan. There's, I want to have a village for living medicine where people of like-minded heart issues can come and actually help live together so that there will be a place and many places, because I don't see it as any one place, but a village for living medicine where we can live the kind of lives that we're reaching for. I love it. Where is the village going to be? Well, we have a couple of places that are beginning to show up as places. And, um, you know, we'll it'll grow into what it is. I love it. So what do you think we should be all doing more of? What do you think we should be doing less of in our quest to live happy, healthier, and longer lives? Figure out how we can love more. What Maybe it's just loving a, a caterpillar that's climbing up the wall or whatever. You know, it's beginning to realize that all of nature around us is there for us. Now, living in the desert, people think that there is nothing that grows. I'm telling you, spring in Arizona is absolutely magnificent. Things that have been dormant pop up, and it's just gorgeous. That's within all of us. We live in that nature. Mother Nature has it. We, you know, I hear something. I think that when when the good Lord created us and said, "Now you are have dominion over the earth," we real we thought that He said dominance. So we've taken as being the people that can choose and have uh, thoughtful things going on in our brains and our hearts. We thought that we were had the um, right to choose what we did with the earth and with the creatures on the earth. He, that's not what was said biblically. It's dominion, and that's caring for. So if we're really looking to care for ourselves, our neighbors, our children, our pets, our earth, our plants, you know, that's a that's a whole different thing from, you know, 
telling the earth what it needs to do. You know, and hearing you speak and reading your book, it, it feels like your spiritual practice, your faith has played a significant role in your longevity. With that said, how do we, you know, for for those who are listening and and you know thinking, well, I don't know what my purpose is, or you know, maybe I'm conflicted about religion or had a bad experience in, in church or, or or organized religion. What advice do you have to someone who, you know, wants to be happier, wants to be more deeply connected to something bigger than themselves? Start looking for what makes you want to sing, or what makes you want to smile, or what makes you want to look further than where you are. I mean, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. No matter how many times a person tells you this, you're not going to see it. But if you're looking for it, it might just be a little match someplace that lights up or some somebody else's flashlight that is helping you see a little farther. It might just be a little thing like that. It might be a, a baby smile for crying out loud. The, there are things that are just divinely placed in our presence and they, they're there if we're looking for them. You know, this idea of paying attention to what you're looking for and that thing appearing, you know, I think hits on mindset. And I'll use an example, which I've, I've used previously on the show. When I was living in Washington, D.C., and I think it was 02 or 03, there was a, a sniper and it was terrifying. And they the news uh, put out an alert. This person's in a white minivan. All of a sudden, um, everywhere I went, I saw white vans. They're everywhere. And... I think it speaks to this idea of when you develop a mindset or a view that the world operates in a certain way, or you're looking for something, you tend to see it everywhere. And that can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. Yeah. It's like picking at your scab. You know, if you've got a hurt and you keep re-injuring it by picking at it, it can't heal. But if you can allow it to heal, do the things that you know, you know, whatever, but allow it to, you live through that trauma. It may take you 93 years, took me, but when you do, wow. <laughs> so one, I'd say the message to our listeners is it's never too late. Yep. And, and I'm curious Given your perspective in 2023, we certainly live in an interesting time. What concerns you? And also, what excites you? I'm concerned about the random killing. I, you know, I'm really concerned about that. But I'm excited about dogs in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> so is there one thing for our listeners that they should absolutely do tomorrow? Look for love today. And love in anything. Love in the cat. And love anything. Yeah. It can be anything. It might be, well, I'm not even going to put this idea in your head. Go find it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, usually this is an easy question. I'm talking to someone in their 50s and I say, you know, go back to your 20s, but given your perspective, I 
feel like I wouldn't get that. I, I, I need to broaden it for you. But if you could go back to any point in your life, your younger self, give yourself advice. What advice would that be? Trust what, you, what you're saying. Trust your own voice. I mean, really, I, I didn't trust my own voice. But when I did, I was able to say things that, that uh, were really had some enough truth to them that people could, they were hearing them before, but they were hearing them at, at, at a level that wasn't as deep as it is now. I mean, the way this book is going is just, it's taken on a life of its own because the message is there for anybody to pick up and use. It is tremendous, and and something that's not a focus of the book, but I would be remiss not to ask. I am very curious, like, what do you eat? <laughs> what I like. <laughs> no. I love that answer, first of all. I love that answer, what you like. So what, what do you like? Raisin bran and prunes for breakfast, for crying out loud, with lactose-free milk and, you know, stuff that works for my gut. <laughs> What, I'm curious, what works for your gut? Some things that don't work for other people's gut. You know, I like I like hot Indian food. But, you know, I grew up with it. So, um, so uh, but I don't recommend that. I can't recommend it for my kids. So. <laughs> I love it. On that note, you did grow up in India and Gandhi. Yeah. What was Gandhi like? I was 10 years old uh, in the train. We were coming to the States. My parents had a furlough. And I was sitting in the, with my face plastered against the window because there was a whole crowd of people following some man. And, and when I realized it was Gandhi, I was li really looking. And he was walking ahead with his dhoti and his lati, the stick that he walked with. And he stooped, just, he came just to where my uh, window was, and I was looking out. And um, he stooped down and took a flower from a little girl and looked up and looked into my eyes. And I, to this day, feel that connection. Reconnected, but... 30 years later, my parents worked with him during the partition as they helped with their medical work with people who were being injured when India was torn apart when the partition happened, you know. And and my dad worked with Gandhi on the plan. I have a shawl here that Gandhi gave my mother because of the work that they did together. So it was that kind of a connection that happened when I was 10 years old that has carried through my life with knowing that there was a, a loving connection, not just to India, but to Gandhi personally. And, and my parents then lived that out. Wow, powerful. Are, do you have any parting words of wisdom or anything else you'd like to say or touch on? Yeah, I would just like to say, love your neighbor and love yourself. You know, I mean, what's greater than that? I love it. Gladys, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on the book. Such an honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you.